Welcome into 49ers Access. My name is Sterling Bennett, and today we're going to react to the San Francisco 49ers 37-20 victory over the Washington Commanders as San Francisco not only kicked off the Christmas weekend festivities, but they also advanced to 11-4 on the season. They've won eight straight games dating back to the Los Angeles Rams game two months ago. Two-month-long winning streak for the San Francisco 49ers. Still the number three seed in the NFC Conference. Also still first place will always be first place in the NFC West. But more importantly, they didn't just win this game. They are still alive for not only the number two seed, but also still have a chance at the number one seed in the NFC. So the Vikings have these late-game heroics. They have won 11 games, 11-0 in one-score games this year. I don't know how much luck a team has to have, but Minnesota currently has it. A 61-yard game-winning field goal this past weekend to stay ahead of San Francisco for the number two seed in the NFC. But despite Minnesota winning, San Francisco still has a shot at the number one seed in the NFC Conference because the Philadelphia Eagles lost to the Dallas Cowboys late in the game on Sunday. And let's be honest here. Let's be honest. It's a long shot, but the Eagles don't have Jalen Hurts still. Avante Maddox, their starting cornerback, just got hurt. And Lane Johnson, their starting tackle, will also likely miss the rest of not only the regular season, but he may not even play in the first or second round of the playoffs. So right now, Philadelphia is reeling. Minnesota is staying alive. And San Francisco is climbing up the NFC Conference. Great signs for San Francisco. But also, again, still a long shot. But there is a chance San Francisco can still get that allotted number one seed in the NFC. It's pretty simple. You went out. Philadelphia loses out. And with two games left, Philadelphia is already 0-1. Just have to lose two more games this year. Again, a long shot, but still a chance for San Francisco. But let's dive in to what happened on Saturday against the Washington Commanders on Christmas Eve day. Again, a 37-20 victory over Taylor Heineke and Chase Young in the Washington Commanders. But coming into Saturday, the conversation was, this might be a trap game for San Francisco. This could be a game late in the year. A hot team like San Francisco is due for a loss. The Commanders fighting for a playoff spot. This, by all means, could be our playoff matchup come playoff time if San Francisco can secure that number two seed. So this could be a preview of a future playoff matchup. So many people thought this might be a game San Francisco might lose or might be a tough opponent for the Niners. And I would say for the most part, it was tough for San Francisco. This game was 7-7 at halftime, and they really didn't break out until late in the game. This wasn't a game where I said, yeah, wow, this game's over with. It was a game where I knew, and I even said, the Commanders are going to fight. This team is gritty. They know that they aren't the Eagles or the Cowboys. They're the Commanders. They're a team that, like, they're on, they're on their back of quarterback, too. Like, Carson Wentz, who did play in this game, was their starter to begin the year. 
And they have Taylor Heineke, who was playing, I believe, in the XFL or the AAF a couple years back. Like, he's not supposed to be here either. So this team is a grinded-out team with a good defense, and many people thought, and I think for the most part, rightfully so, this could be a trap game for San Francisco. The Commanders came in, top 10 defense. The whole talk was, you know, watch out for their defense. They'll keep them in this game. They're great against the run, bad against the pass. And I think for the most part, they did stop the run. What did Christian McCaffrey do in this game to you? He averaged like three and a half yards per carry. That's not CMC-like. Jordan Mason got hurt early in this game. Ty Davis Price was a non-factor in this game for the most part outside of one run. So the Commanders did what I thought San Francisco had to do, or at least was going to do, on the inverse. It was make Taylor Heineke beat you. And the commander said, we're going to make Brock Purdy beat us. And, well, Brock Purdy did beat you. <laughs> like Brock Purdy was really good in this game. The offense as a whole put up 371 yards, averaged 7.3 yards per play, 8.7 yards per pass, and scored 37 points against the top 10 defense in football. Again, this Niners team, and should we just retire the, the third-string quarterback talk in regards to, like, should we stop being surprised by this? Like, this has been common for four games now. Now, there were some some big touchdown passes in this game, but other than that, like, this has been, like, Brock Purdy hasn't played any better or any worse than what we've noticed from him or or how he's played since taking over for Garoppolo against the Dolphins. And so that Brock Purdy-led offense scored 37 points, almost 400 yards, and almost averaged not just 7.5 yards per play, but also almost 9 yards per pass, almost a first down per pass against the top 10 defense in football. But, and that doesn't surprise me when it comes against the pass, but the one thing I thought might hinder San Francisco's offense was I didn't think they were going to have the ball too much. I thought this game was going to be a slow, drawn-out, you know, punch-for-punch, beat-for-beat, and by the end of it, we're bloody, we're cut up, and we're bruised, but on the other side, we have the W. Now, while we weren't beat up and bruised, there was some fighting along the way. Like, San Francisco, like the, the commanders were going to give us a fight, and they did that. This game was tied 7-7 seven to seven at halftime. This was like, okay, like, what is the second half adjustments going to be? Who's going to break away first? Now, I think we can all say collectively that we thought it was going to be San Francisco, but there, I'm sure there was a part in this game we said, wow, like, the Commanders aren't bad, and they're not a bad team. They're an average team with a below-average quarterback and a good defense. But at halftime, the game's tied 7-7, seven to seven, and they are controlling the clock 20 minutes and 7 seconds compared to San Francisco's 9 minutes and 53 seconds. They held the ball nearly double what San Francisco did in the first half. And to even to end the game, they held the ball for 33 minutes compared to San Francisco's 26 minutes. The Commanders, by all means had the ball almost half a quarter more than San Francisco did. Like, their their game plan worked for the most part. Now, they had some hiccups here, a couple turnovers, but they did what they wanted to do in controlling the clock. 
slow, methodical offense, five yards here, five yards there, five yards here, five yards there. We knew they were not going to get vertical in the offense, kind of like the Buccaneers are, although they want to. The Commanders don't do as much. And they did in this game a few times, but for the most part, this game was very dink and dunk, dink and dunk, five yards here, five yards there. And a lot of their big chunk plays came on third down because we played zone. There were some small pockets in there, and Heineke did his job and got the ball to Jahan Dotson, who was amazing in this game. Uh, Terry McLaurin had himself a nice game. Like, the Commanders did what they needed to do. The difference is what they needed to do still wasn't good enough to beat San Francisco. And I just think that's where this team is now, where the Niners, they can take your best shot and they'll just go okay and move on and they'll still fight back. They can take, you know, being down. They can take, you know, a gut punch injury. They can take, you know, a fight till the end and somehow, some way, they are going to come out on top. The Commanders wanted to establish the run in this game. They ran the ball 33 times against San Francisco's defense. They averaged 2.4 yards per carry. 79 total yards in this game. What I, and I'm assuming you, and the San Francisco 49ers expected the Commanders to do they did. The Niners said, hey, if you're going to make Brock Purdy have to beat you, we're going to make Taylor Heineke have to beat us. And I'm sorry, simply because of the play caller, Kyle Shanahan, and the personnel, it was always going to favor the San Francisco 49ers and Brock Purdy. Now, I think we can agree Brock Purdy, at least right now, is a better quarterback than Heineke. That's just what it is. But because they told Heineke, you're going to have to beat us, he only threw the ball 18 times in this game. But here's the kicker. They had 12 drives with Heineke at quarterback prior to being benched. Eight of those 12 drives ended in either a punt, a turnover on downs, or two turnovers. So eight of 12 drives. What is that? One for four Quick math, I, I'm, I'm not great at math, but it's like one of every four drives was successful. You cannot be 25%, and that's just the Heineke drives. It's not the entire game. The Heineke drives. So three quarters of Heineke's drives were either punts, turnover on downs, or turnovers. And then he got benched. Like, coming into this game, the commanders said, we don't know who our quarterback's going to be, or... There might be a conversation coming up soon. Not sure when that's going to happen. The Niners beat Heineke up so bad, and he played so poorly, they made them bench their quarterback. The Giants started that trend of, hey, you know, beat the Commanders twice, or time once, beat them once. San Francisco finished that job. Now, who knows who starts this weekend, but... I don't think you can go back to Taylor Heineke. And I think that's because of what San Francisco did. Like, it wasn't that he was awful, but he was so ineffective that as soon as the game got out of control, they said, we cannot win with you. But despite the success San Francisco had defensively, two turnovers, Nick Bosa was great in this game, Jimmy Ward was good in this game, 
so many great parts to what San Francisco did, I did notice, and I want to I want to predicate this by saying, how many teams do you know can lose their number one corner and still be the same? Probably none. It's very rare that a team can lose a top corner and be the same defense. It's very rare. How many times did we see San Francisco lose Richard Sherman either in-game or for a week, and the defense just was not the same. Plenty of times. Whether it was 19 or 20, there were plenty of times we saw them not have Sherman on the field, and we said, oof. I mean, my mind goes to the Saints game 2019. He got hurt for like three plays, and I said, oh my God, oh my God. Get him back out there as fast as you can. We have nobody else. Now this year, for San Francisco's sake, Mooney Ward's been money. He's money Ward. <laughs> like he has been one of the best free agent signings all offseason. And I don't think many teams can lose Emmanuel Mosley for the whole year, have the hope of getting Jason Verrett back, then have him not be able to play. Like many teams can't lose what should have been their number two and have the guy that was going to replace the number two and be your new number two, have him not play either and say, yep. We're going to be just fine or even play better, and they have. But that being said, San Francisco currently does not have the cornerback depth they once had. And I can argue their biggest weakness might be the cornerback depth. And I'll ask you this. Despite what Ambry Thomas did last year, do you trust him this year? Like, There's a reason why he hasn't played. Do you trust Samuel Womack? He played a few snaps in this game, and it wasn't pretty. Now, you can argue that with more reps, with more time. Like last year, Ambry Thomas was forced into playing. And over time, he got better. He was awful against the Bengals. He was bad against the Falcons. But over time, against the Texans, against the Rams, in the playoffs, he was good. So maybe that's the case. But as of right now, the moment that Mooney Ward had a concussion or he was throwing up on the sideline, like there there was a moment or a handful of plays in this game he did not play. He was not on the field. And what did Washington do? When any smart team does, I said it plenty of times, as soon as you see a starting cornerback go hurt, the next play that offense is going to target that corner. That's what you do. It's like a cold quarterback. What do you do? What do the Dolphins do against Brock Purdy? Blitz, blitz, blitz. It's the same mindset. You're essentially blitzing the cornerback. Make him beat you. You're cold. Your legs are cold. Beat us. Oh, you can't? Boom, touchdown. Like, as soon as Ward got hurt and Lenore had to go against the top cornerback, what did Heineke and the Commanders do? Deep shot McLaurin over Womack. Boom. Big play at the goal line. And I do wonder that, again, with the reps, they might be able to get caught up to speed. But San Francisco is basically a two-quarterback team right now. It's Mooney Ward, Demo Lenore, and a safety Jimmy Ward playing nickel. Now, it's been successful. I'm, I am by no means complaining about that unit. It's the best unit in football for a reason. What I'm saying is, is that if Mooney Ward, who has, for whatever reason, kind of been 
know, having the lingering effects of the concussion, if that continues or something else happens, and you're telling me it's Lenore and Womack and Thomas against CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, Dalton Schultz, heck, even the, even the commanders, McLaurin and Samuel and Dotson, Philadelphia with A.J. Brown and, and Devontae Smith and, and uh, Dallas Goddard's back, like, it's not like they're going to be playing scrubs come playoff time. And not to say those guys are scrubs, but I don't necessarily have the faith in Womack and, and Thomas right now. And I do think that might be where San Francisco's weakness, if they even have one, comes into play. Where if Mooney Ward, after losing Mosley and Verrett, if, if he cannot play on top of those guys, that might be the real weakness of this defense, quote-unquote weakness of the defense. And I can argue that, yeah, you put any team two cornerbacks down, you have a safety playing nickel, what else would be the weakness? Like, yeah, no duh. Like, of course that's the weakness. There are three cornerbacks down, and you're expecting them to be better, which they have been, but I do wonder that does that depth at a certain point, come into play. Like in a playoff game, and this is a wild scenario, but in in a playoff game, if Mooney Ward's out for one drive, who knows? Like what happened in Green Bay last year? I don't know. Mosley's not on the field. Josh Norman's out there. Amber Thomas got hurt. Josh Norman's out there. Like this, this fan base knows what it's like to not have their top corners or even the number two and three guys and see Drake Kirkpatrick and Josh Norman play. We know how big of a deal that depth has been. Now, the one thing I'll say to kind of retort myself and also others who are saying that, hey, you know, if Mooney Ward's not playing, this is an issue, that Ambry Thomas does have experience in the playoffs. He played in Dallas on the road, Green Bay on the road, Los Angeles essentially twice on the road, and played well in all of those games outside of the, the last one in the NFC Championship game. Like he wasn't good in that game, but no, no one really was on the outside. And Lenore, same thing. He's been there. He's done that. Now, then it becomes Samuel Womack, and then it becomes Quantrez Knight, and it's like, oh, we're getting kind of gross. But I do think that the questions of, is that a weakness? Yeah. But if any team loses their top cornerback on top of losing their top three guys, that's going to be a weakness. Like, no, duh. That's a weakness. But let's move on to the offense. Let's talk about this team's strengths. And I do think that if you're going to talk about the offense, you got to start with the quarterback, right? Brock Purdy, uh, like, it's... Sometimes it's hard putting into words how to feel about Brock Purdy because I think every single week I've not been amazed, but like, I can't believe this is happening still. So his first week, he beats the Dolphins, takes Garoppolo's place. They're plummeting, but that's a good Dolphins team, I think. Tua has his injuries, but that's a good team, I think. Beats them. Then he beats Tom Brady, greatest quarterback of all time. Then he goes on the road, beats Pete Carroll and the Seahawks to clinch the division on a short week being hurt, 
Then he beats the Commanders to go to 11-4 and and 3-0 in his starts and 4-0 in the games he's played. And you're like, what the heck is happening? But I do think, like, in this game alone, or over the course of the games he's played, we have seen some of the oh-no throws. The difference is, or some of the oh-no plays, the difference is with Brock Purdy, it's that almost all the oh-no throws have either been not his fault, have either not counted, or have been rather inconsequential to the game. Like the Dolphins pick for Xavier Howard. Fourth down, like fourth and one, it was basically a punt play. Doesn't matter. Uh, the Buccaneers drop the pick. The, uh, the Buccaneers drop a pick. Seattle drops a pick. In this game, his pick wasn't even his fault because Jawan Jennings was doing tip drill. Like, every, oh my goodness, what are you doing, Brock Purdy? All those plays haven't mattered. And I think it's not that the ones that Jimmy or Trey have had have always been the ones that matter, but it's, and maybe it's just me. Like, I had plenty of confidence in Garoppolo to battle back from interceptions. But that word right there of like, we all saw the stats. When Jimmy threw a pick, it was he was so great on the next drive. But it was because he almost had to be. Now, not 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 every game's like that, but it feels like that Brock Purdy, like if he throws a pick, or at least early in the game, it's not because he, like, the next drive, he doesn't have to be perfect. And I feel like that, and, and maybe that's the confidence in him growing in me, of like, yeah, this guy could be the guy. But it just feels like that, like, I do wonder what, and I'm not comparing the two, but I do wonder what Chiefs fans feel when they see Mahomes throw a pick. Because when I see Mahomes throw a pick or is late down in the game, I go, you gave him 13 seconds, he might come back. Oh my goodness, it's too much time. And when I see Brock Purdy throw a pick, or, and well, he hasn't been down late, but when I see him need a big drive to make a statement drive, I don't really have the concern. I don't have the oh my goodness, what mistake is he going to make? Thought process, it's okay, you know, let's be smart here, but let's let the drive play out first. Like, I don't have the the leering or, 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 the, or the lingering concern of what is Purdy going to do poorly next. It's okay, when is he going to hit that deep ball next? When is he going to make, you know, the, 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 maneuvering play from the defensive line and spin out of a play and get that next amazing first down next. And again, I, I'm not comparing Mahomes to Purdy, but it just feels like he he does have, at least from what we've seen, more playmaking ability than any other quarterback that's been here, I could argue, since Colin Kaepernick. Like, that's what feels like is happening in front of our eyes. Now, different quarterbacks different play styles. We know this, but Jimmy G was so good at giving the ball to his playmakers, which was very successful. But it's almost like Brock Purdy himself 
can be a playmaker or can make the play happen. Whereas Garoppolo was quick slant route, give it to Debo, give it to Kittle, let them make the play for you. Purdy is like, well, I can make the play myself. And I do think that's kind of been the difference with the offense. Now, it helps to have Christian McCaffrey and George Kittle and even McLeod in this game. Like, McLeod ran on a Debo jet sweep 71 yards for a touchdown. It was a great play. Great play. But more importantly on the Brock Purdy talk, like, George Kittle has caught, or in this game, caught six passes for 120 yards and two huge touchdowns. And on one of his touchdowns, and I don't, like, it's so hard to describe really what happened, but George Kittle talked about in an article with Mike Silver that that play wasn't drawn up that way. Like, that play was going to to, to McLeod. And George Kittle kind of saw the defensive coverage, purposefully made the off-schedule change to his route, and happened to be in the position to catch that ball. Now, was Purdy seeing Kittle? I don't know. But it doesn't, like... We always talk about how Shanahan has this structure of, like, do not deviate from the structure. But it does seem like that with Brock Purdy, I could argue there's more deviation than ever, or at least that we've seen. Like, it seems like every week, while not a broken play, but there seems to be that Brock Purdy is making the off-schedule play more and more and more. And maybe that's my own eyes perceiving me, or, or, or deceiving me, excuse me, but it does seem like that Brock Purdy every single week is making a play himself, not relying on Kittle and Ayuk and Jennings and McCaffrey and Debo to make the play for him. And let's be honest here, this is what every fan wanted from Trey Lance. This is exactly what... now. Different quarterbacks, different, you know, very different play styles. What, how you would see this from Trey Lance would be the read option eight times a game, six times a game, maybe a deep pass here or there. But with Brock Purdy, it's almost like, hey, we don't have a read option, so what we're going to do is we're going to give you 22, 25 attempts a game, very Jimmy Garoppolo-esque, right? That's Jimmy Garoppolo's sweet spot. But because what he can do with the football, the ability to make a play, he'll take a sack. He took three sacks in this game. Didn't phase him once. He threw a pick in this game. Didn't phase him. He went into halftime, I believe, for the first time being tied and said, I'll put up 30 points in the second half. Like, the Niners put up 30 points in the second half alone. And they settled for field goals three times in the red zone. Like, this game could have been 40, could have been 45, could have been 50. Like, they they, they they missed opportunities and still put up 37 points. Have you been able to say that in the past? Not many times. Now, I talked about last week how I'm buying in that while Brock Purdy doesn't 
you know, put his name in the upper echelon of quarterbacks, that's fine. He didn't need to be that. There's like what Brock Purdy's doing right now is exactly or is exactly what San Francisco needs from their quarterbacks to win the Super Bowl. Now, is that going to keep up? I don't know. It might. Might not. We'll find out. But they don't need Mahomes. They just need, and I cannot believe I'm saying this, they just need Brock Purdy or the way he's playing currently. And that that's crazy. That That's insane. I never thought those words would leave my mouth that Brock Purdy, the way he's playing, not only believes or not only is making me believe that this team is a Super Bowl favorite, but I could argue that Brock Purdy right now, with three game, two games left and a whole playoffs to come, he might be single-handedly, hand, handedly, hand, whatever the word is, hand, handedly, <laughs> Jesus, might be single-handedly erasing the thought of Jimmy Garoppolo's return. And I can argue. There's talks that Trey Lance might not even be the starting quarterback going into next year. Like it just makes your it makes your mind say, "Is this reality? Am I living in the real world currently?" And look, it's not like he doesn't have weapons around him. Brandon Ayuk was good in this game. Had a huge 54-yard catch in this game. Huge play, a great play. Purdy with a like there was a play in this game that didn't even count where Brock Purdy threw the ball away but going out of bounds stopped made a cut did a spin move to get the ball out of bounds I saw it and I said the heck what was that <laughs> like well, that was awesome and it didn't even count like it, it, it's that stuff where you're like there's something to this kid that is Making me think things I never thought I'd think in my entire life. Like, this kid might be the franchise. But let's not distract that from how good George Kittle has been. In December, in his career, George Kittle, 130 catches, over 1,900 yards and 12 touchdowns. In this game, 6 catches, 120 yards, 2 touchdowns. Like, George Kittle, and he had the big yak in this game for a touchdown. Again, the ball to McLeod, he kind of stole from him for a touchdown. Like, George Kittle is coming up big week after week for San Francisco. I think in I think earlier this month, we talked about how it's big play Dre. How about clutch game Kittle? Like, that's, that's what he's done. Like, he's been that kind of player for the San Francisco 49ers this year, or at least in this month. When San Francisco said, look, we're on our third-string quarterback. We need you guys to step up. George Kittle said, no problem. I'll be the guy to carry the load. I'll be the guy that makes the big plays or or is the star offensively. I'll take pressure off of the young quarterback. And, and look, that's what every tight end is there for. We are seeing George Kittle become the safety net for Brock Purdy, and in return, he's 
being more involved in the offense than I could argue since late last year. Like, this is the best George Kittle we've seen. Like, George Kittle has eight touchdowns this year. Eight touchdowns, okay? That's a career high for him. Four of those came from Brock Purdy in the past two weeks. He's been utilized to the max in this current month of the year, but also by Brock Purdy at quarterback. Like, George Kittle was being utilized the most, I could argue, he ever has in his career, or at least since Nick Mullins in 2018. Like, that's how long it's been. And look, Kittle's been clutch. Kittle has been someone we point to and say, wow, he's a top tight end in football. What was the one thing that many of us, including myself, said Kelsey's better for? He's a better receiver than you, George Kittle. You're a blocker. Now, there's no problem being a blocker, but when your best attribute is being a blocker, you're not going to get the kudos. You're not going to get the attention you would normally get if you're a Kelsey or a Darren Waller or a Mark Andrews. Well, what is George Kittle currently doing? I could argue he's doing his best Travis Kelsey impersonation. And George Kittle, right now, has put himself, like, there's a reason he went to the Pro Bowl this year. And and, and I, I'll admit, when I saw it, I said, really, Kittle? But I looked at his stats and I said, oh, wow. And then, now he has eight touchdowns? Like, George Kittle's having a great year for the Niners, and I can argue it's been so quiet. So quiet. But somebody else having a great year for San Francisco. And I do want to highlight John Lynch for a second, because let me ask you this. Is there a core or is there a free agent that they signed this offseason that has not hit? George Odom, the best or one of the best special teams players in the NFL. Might be an all pro at special teams. George Odom. McLeod, Ray Ray McLeod, 71-yard touchdown run against the Commanders. One of the best return men in football. He's a stud. Oren Burks, when Greenlaw and Alshire were hurt, who stepped up? When Warner was hurt, who stepped up? Oren Burks. Three guys, they said, you are going to replenish our special teams unit, have come up big time in time again. What about Kerry Hyder? He's been amazing this year. Hassan Ridgeway, no Kinlaw, no problem. And that doesn't even include Tayshawn Gibson, who was a training camp signing, or reworking Jimmy Garoppolo's deal. Like, we talk about how you know, Kyle Shanahan, Coach of the Year. Why not Kyle Shanahan, Coach of the Year? And why not John Lynch, Executive of the Year? I don't know how they overlook him. I don't know how you overlook Kyle Shanahan. And most importantly, I don't know how you overlook, or if you're trying to overlook him, please stop, and please give Nick Bosa the credit he deserves. Nick Bosa had two sacks, eight pressures, and one forced fumble against the Commanders. 
He was a wrecking ball defensively. And somehow, Emmanuel Ocho, there were some people, Emmanuel Ocho, that will not recognize him as the leader for Defensive Player of the Year. And to, if you tag Emmanuel Ocho in this, prove to him, Nick Bosa right now ranks number one in sacks, 17 and a half. Amazing. 17 and a half sacks for Nick Bosa this year. He ranks first in quarterback hits. He ranks first, surprisingly, in penalties drawn, number two in pressures, number two in pass rush win rate, number two in pass rush productivity, and number two in tackle for losses. Guess what? No other defender is top two in all those categories this year. Hey, Emmanuel Acho, you want to pick Micah Parsons because he he hustles more. There's more effort. What a dumb thing to say. Nick Bosa is the best pass rusher in football. But not just that. He's the best defensive player in football this year. Chase Young, in his first game back this year, on his own sideline, for the commander said, that boy is going to get 20 sacks this year. How do you look at someone in the face and say, they're going to get 20 sacks and say, but you don't deserve Defensive Player of the Year? I mean, come on. Come on. It's ridiculous. Please. Like, Nick Bosa's... And it's funny because I thought it was an interception. I thought Nick Bosa's fumble. When I saw Willis have the ball in his hands, I go, is that a pick? Oh my god, is that a pick? And now, thankfully, it was a fumble because it goes for Bosa's stats, but... I was like, that was the craziest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, what is that? But I was like, oh my goodness. But that was a huge play. That was the that was the icing on the cake. That was the camel that broke the straw's back for Taylor Heineke's day. They benched him after that. Then Jimmy Ward's interception, like Nick Bosa. You want to talk about maybe a more important player for a defense? Yeah, he has Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw and, and Eric Armstead and Jimmy Ward and Hufunga. He has all pro Pro Bowl players around him. And somehow he still sticks out. It's not like you take someone like Arden Key, who uh, I like Arden Key, no disrespect, but you take him. He's in Oakland, Las Vegas. He sucks. He just sucks. Comes over here, around the all pros, around the Pro Bowlers. He becomes something. Then he leaves, and he's better than he was, but not who he was last year. Nick Bosa is someone that can make your career. You play next to Nick Bosa, you're going to probably make it in the NFL. Like, there's a reason why people come here. And, like, when San Francisco drafted Nick Bosa in 2019, among other things... There's a reason the defense changed. There's a reason the identity of the team went from Jimmy Garoppolo's the quarterback you have, George Kittle, to, oh, it's Nick Bosa. It's Fred Warner. I can argue Nick Bosa, along with Warner, Jimmy Ward, and others along the way, Sherman, they changed the identity of 
the San Francisco 49ers. Kyle Shanahan, great offensive head coach, great coordinator. Oh, my goodness. Jimmy Garoppolo, franchise quarterback in 2017. He's healthy in 2019. How are they going to be? George Kittle, one of the best tight ends in the NFL. Then it became Nick Bosa, the best defensive player in football. Fred Warner, the best linebacker in football. Nick Bosa changed what the NFL thought of the Kyle Shanahan, Jimmy Garoppolo-led 49ers. But back to this game for one second. Because it was close. It was close in this game. But I just want to kind of put a you know a cap on what we think of what happened on Saturday. And look, there really isn't much to get into because it just felt like one of those games where they fought as long. Like, it's so hard to go six rounds with Tyson. You can't do it. You might last three and come round four, it's haymaker, jab, jab, haymaker, uppercut. You're like, what the heck's going on, man? Coach, I'm tired. <sighs> get back out there. And you can't take much more, and you get knocked out. Well, Heineke's fumble was the knockout punch. The difference is, they were like, all right, Wentz, get in there. Wentz, Wentz, get in there. And they're like, man, it's, no, they got back up. Okay, they still have a chance. And they got some punches, and they scored a touchdown. On his first drive in the game, they scored a touchdown on Wentz's first drive. And you go, oh, okay. But then Tyson, the Niners, go, okay, kind of bite your freaking ear off. Let's go again. Get back in the ring, and it's bam, 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 bam. It's like, okay, we, we actually had no chance. We just got our second wind, and that was worth nothing. <laughs> like, the Niners are right now the Mike Tyson of football. Like, they are the number one, the dirty dog. Like They are the top guy. They are the Hulk Hogan. They are the John Cena of the NFL. And everyone else was saying, we don't want to play those guys. Those guys, like, Micah Parsons said on Michael Irvin's podcast that when they played the Niners last year in the playoffs, he was sore for two weeks afterwards. There's a reason why every team that plays San Francisco loses the following week. And the one team that did win, the Chiefs, had a bye week in between. San Francisco brutalizes their opponents. There's a reason why a UFC fighter doesn't fight the next weekend. They need months and months and months off to recover because their bodies take a beating. Playing the Niners is like getting in the octagon. And guess what? No team wants to do it. You might get a couple jabs in. You might get, you know, maybe an uppercut, maybe a big swing here. Dolphins, first drive touchdown. Well, what the heck was that? But guess what? There's a reason this team can go 10 rounds. There's a reason this team can take a punch and get right back up and start swinging. Like, this team is low-key like the Terminator. And T2, one of the greatest movies of all time, this team is Robert Patrick in, in T2. Just when you think you have destroyed it, it liquefies back together and comes back, and it's still scrapping and fighting. Like, that's what it's like. Oh, there's a wall on the way. I'll go through the jail cell walls and still get to you. No matter what you put in front of me, I am going to find I'm going to find a way to get to your quarterback. I'm going to find a way to get the victory. That's what playing this Niners team 
is like, and that's the same reason why I do think this team not only has a chance to get the number two seed, that's the reason why I'm holding out hope they can still be the number one seed. Philadelphia is not the same team. Like, this Niners team has third-string quarterback playing top 10-esque in the NFL. Nick Bosa is two sacks away from breaking Alden Smith's single-season record in Niner history. Like, people want to talk about, well, you know, this team, like, they don't have to be record-setting to win the Super Bowl. They may not need to be, but they are. <laughs> like, this Niners team will go down in, in, in history as not only the greatest defense I could argue ever in Niners history, but if they win one, two, three, hopefully four playoff games, this might go down in the annals of history as the one of the greatest defenses in NFL history. They're getting takeaways. Hufunga's a pro bowler in year two. Bosa, defensive player of the year. Fred Warner, Greenlaw, two of the best linebackers in the NFL. Oh, and not to mention, Elijah Mitchell might come back to practice on Friday and play against the Cardinals in two weeks. Debo Samuel might practice this week and might come back against the Cardinals in two weeks. This team's getting healthier. And it's not just, oh, we get our fourth cornerback back. No, you're getting stars back. Stars back. And a 37-20 victory over the Commanders to advance to 11-4 and four and get your eighth straight victory, that was just, eh. Like, this win will get lost amongst the many they've had this year. This win isn't the Saints' victory where it's 13-0, or the Dolphins' victory, Purdy's first game, or Purdy against Brady, or Purdy against Pete Carroll and the Seahawks on Thursday night football. It's not, like, this game is going to get forgotten. But I could argue that this game right here might be the best example of who the Niners are. A team that can go into halftime tied without Debo Samuel, without Elijah Mitchell, and put up 30 points on you in a half. Can get two takeaways, can wear you down. This team is not that 2019 team. The offense is better. The defense is better. Now the question is, can you get the job done? We'll see. But right now, I have the faith. That being said, I want to thank you for listening. I hope you had a wonderful holiday weekend, Christmas weekend, Merry Christmas, whatever you celebrate, Merry Happy, whatever you tend to do on this past weekend. I had a great Christmas. The family was in town. We watched football every single day. The Warriors beat the Grizzlies. There was so much to celebrate on this past Sunday on Christmas Day. I watched The Grinch last night, one of the best movies I've, I've ever seen in my entire life. Jim Carrey is, I mean, just incredible. You know it. I know it. That being said, I want to let you know the holidays, well, might be over, almost over. The giving does not end. You can use our promo code 49ersaccess. Save yourself $20 off your first purchase at SeatGeek.com. You want to see them play the Raiders in Las Vegas, the Cardinals at home, or go to a playoff game? Get $20 off your first purchase at SeatGeek.com. 
using promo code 49ers access. Also, Fanatics link down in our description. Use that link, save yourself some money, buy yourself that Brock Purdy jersey, a Debo Samuel jersey, whatever you want to buy, whether it's Niners, Commanders, Raiders, Cardinals, save yourself some money. Use our link down below in the description. Also, follow us on social media at 49ers.access is the Instagram. 49ers underscore access is the Twitter. We almost have 20,000 followers combined on both those platforms. Join the conversation. Tweet at me. DM me. I will always respond. Let's have a conversation about this team. And until next time, my name is Sterling Bennett. This has been the 49er Access Podcast. And stay faithful. Stay faithful.